No one wants the... the, Bear with me as we transition. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 this morning. Good to see every single one of you here. Those of you that you are just light and fast, quick on your feet, outside, inside, outside, inside, we are good to go. Thank you for those guys that have been so faithful, diligent in setting things up. This is the day the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Welcome to those that are joining us online as well. We have really emphasized the entire summer on this whole togetherness. Let's get back together, back together. We looked at what um, corporate worship, just gathering together. Why is it that corporate worship matters? And we spent weeks in the summer of just like, look, look at what God's word has for us. We've looked recently at giving together. Why is it that corporate stewardship matters? We're going to finish that portion this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Then the last couple of weeks, while we are outside before we officially start our fall um, season on September the 12th, we're actually going to be looking at the subject of growing together, why corporate discipleship matters. Really key as far as who we are and what we do as a church. And all of those, all of those with an overarching theme that you are not to be relegated to corners or isolated. We are not insular in our faith. We are a body, ecclesia, called out, gathered together with one purpose. And that is to glorify God in everything that we say and we do. And a key part of that is the opening up, the listening to the preaching of the Word of God. The primary means of ordinary grace today that we receive and hear the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives is through the preaching of the Word of God. Great weight and responsibility that I take very, very seriously. So with that, to make sure that we handle this this time, these few moments, we steward this morning well in this text. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for His help and guidance. As we listen and, Lord willing, learn this morning. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we are humbled at the fact that you allow us to even utter words that are heard by you this morning. We thank you, Lord, that we are able to come directly to you through our mediator, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the presence of the Spirit right now within us and your word. Fathers, we've lifted up our voices in praise and worship. We are reminded, as we've already heard this morning, of many brothers and sisters throughout the world, particularly those in Afghanistan, who just do not have the privilege. We we pray for them. We pray, Lord, that you would be especially near, that your grace be sufficient for them in this hour of need. Father, I pray right now as well, I think of families just in the midst of transition as kids head back to school. Lord, I think especially of numerous families that have kids heading off to college for the first time and just the, the change in dynamic around the table. I just pray, Lord, that you would minister, that you would be close, that you would give strength. I pray, Lord, for our, our young ones as they head out, that they would be strong and faithful followers of Jesus as they learn to stand on their own 
help, help the investment, the pouring in of their lives of truth over many years. They, Lord, would be shining examples of righteousness. Father, I thank you for your, your word, the text that is before us, and for the amazing ways that you've blessed us. And we pray, Lord, for wisdom that we would steward well. I, Lord, just ask for help personally. Please, please give clarity of thought and mind and speech. May I not say anything or do anything that would ever detract or hurt or harm the work that you desire to accomplish. Lift up those that are aching and hurting today. Perhaps those that are lost. Draw them to you. Remind them of who you are. May they get a glimpse. May we hear of you and your goodness and your amazing grace. We ask this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, last several weeks we've considered this subject of stewardship. We've talked about the fact that stewardship really is, is an ownership issue. So we step back from that and we realize what? This has to do with lordship. The Lord is Lord over all. We are to be in submission. We've, we've looked at the subject of, of how like, things before us are fleeting and temporal versus that which is eternal. Where's our home? It's not here. Our home is being prepared for us. We've looked at the subject of, of being obedient, of what God's Word tells us to do. And, and we've looked at the subject of sacrifice. As we conclude our little study in this portion, we need to consider, I would say, deep within our hearts, the inevitable tendency for us all to think and to ask. When it comes to this subject of stewarding, of giving, we have an innate kind of nature within us to ask, what, what's, what's really in it for me? You know when you're really busy and you see someone on the side of the road and you're like, mm, I really don't have the time. And you're like, right thing to do is what? And you pull over, okay, and you help them out. Last $5 that you have in your wallet, you give them some gas and you drive away and you're like, whoa, man, God is going to be happy with me today. And then you have a flat on the way home. We have this inevitable tendency to say, if I give to God, what do I get? If I give to God, what do I get? Therefore, I think it's absolutely essential, it's critical for us to examine, examine what I call the motivation behind our giving. We have to be reminded. I have to regularly be reminded, okay, that, that God is not a winning lottery ticket, as the world wants to try to tell you. That he's just the, the grandfather on his rocker, the proverbial porch, just waiting to like cast out what? You're good, you're good, and, and I'll give a little bit. We have this idea that God is a, a lottery ticket. God is not. God is not a good luck charm. He's not a, a lucky rabbit's foot that you carry around. He's not a magical genie when you, you rub the little pot and, and, and what good things happen. That's not God. That's health and wealth. Okay? That's prosperity gospel. That's bad theology. That type of teaching dishonors Christ at every level. It's false. 
It's not true. What, what, what is true? We know, we know certain things. God is always faithful. God is always faithful. Moses, what refers to him as the faithful God. Paul, the Apostle Paul, on numerous references, refers to what? The faithful God. We know that God is faithful even when we are faithless. We know that what? The rain falls on the just and the unjust. We know those things for certain. We we know that God is always good to his word. He will never contradict. Not one word. We know that God always, always, always will take care of his own. Oh, Pastor Tim, what we just heard, I've decided to follow Jesus. And, and my family was murdered as a result of that. We just heard a testimony from Rachel. Like, what, what do you mean God takes care of his own? Certain things we just go to the bank with. We know that, what, you can never outgive God. But we have a tendency to measure, to define God taking care of us as somehow protecting us physically. Or perhaps lavishing more, better, best stuff on us. We have this idea of thinking that if God takes care of us, it it translates into material things. Or possessions. Stuff. If God takes care of us, then, then the test is going to be negative. And I'm going to come out smiling from the doctor's office, right? God takes care of That's not what we're talking about. It's not always going to be comfortable. It's not always going to be health and strength and wealth. <clears throat> you know, the church, the, the churches in the area of Corinth were in many ways just like we are. And that's why the Apostle Paul wrote extensively on the very subject that is of such importance in the life of a believer today. If you recall this, the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that, so that by his poverty you might become rich. It's poverty and riches. Like, what does this speak about? Apostle Paul writes to the church at Ephesus in chapter 1, verse 3. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. You know what those verses talk about? It talks about riches, but in a different kind than you and I think of it. It's talking about spiritual wealth, spiritual riches, spiritual blessings, Through the sacrifice of Christ, you realize this, that we are rich, loaded, when it comes to the subject of our redemption, of our justification. We are rich in salvation. We are rich in God's grace upon us. We are rich in the forgiveness that we have received. We are rich when the Holy Spirit, what, allows joy to flow out of us, even in the midst of pain. We are rich in the presence of peace that is beyond human understanding or explanation. We are rich when it comes to living for glory and honor. 
Romans 8, we talked about what? We are joint heirs. Everything in the kingdom has been offered to us. That's why we need to learn to measure wealth on a different scale than we think of it. The subject of stewardship and giving is more than what just about increasing in the physical. It's about abounding in the spiritual. It's about being rich in Christ first and foremost. And we see this in our text this morning. I hope you bring your Bibles to church or, or your phone where you have it right there and you click and you see these words. Follow along as I read. I'll pick it up in, in verse 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I love how Paul begins. The point is this. This is the point. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times. You may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of, his, of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. It, it literally talks about Moving the focus, the fixing of our eyes from that which we think of and we measure riches today to an entirely different view. Impoverished in many ways, yet rich. Can I give you an example of that? And you're like, mm, yeah, okay. I was, Aaron, Pastor Aaron and I were meeting on Monday evening and I was just coming off the whole sick thing. Thank you, Pastor Aaron, for preaching last week because it was rough. And so I was still a little queasy uh, with the guys, but I was talking with the deacons. I was meeting with a group of deacons. And I share with them a story. I read to them a portion of a story of what I, I think it, it looks like, in a sense, to have nothing and yet have everything. And we go back. We go back some years here. Travel with me to ancient Rome. The epicenter, epicenter of the mightiest empire on earth. Eight years have passed since Emperor Decius sought to exterminate all who refused to pledge allegiance to his sovereign rule. Untold Christians, untold number of Christians were killed. It's now 258 AD and a man named Lawrence 
is one of seven deacons who are serving in Rome. His task is to oversee the church's money and distribution of it to the poor. In August, the news hits. Decius' successor, Valerian, has issued a chilling edict. All bishops, all priests, and all deacons must be rounded up and killed. Lawrence is soon taken before the magistrate. The offer. You surrender the treasure of the church and you will be freed. The deacon agrees. He only requests three days. It's going to take me three days to gather all of this to retrieve it. Leaving the court, Lawrence wastes no time. He entrusts the church's money to safe hands, and then he gathers together the sick, the aged, the poor, the widowed, and the orphaned. At last, he returns to the court with a pitiful band in tow. Incensed by the commotion, the magistrate demands an explanation. Lawrence responds, Sir, I have brought to you what you asked for. Then, gesturing toward the people he gathered, he declares, These are the treasures of the church. Subsequently sentenced to a martyr's death, the deacon endures the flames with startling calm, even quipping to his executioners, quote, You may turn me over now. I'm done on this side. The spectacle of Lawrence's faithfulness and his testimony literally led to thousands of people who came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. You see, there's, there's a difference here. There's a, a total, like, just upend the apple cart. Is that the term, the peach cart? Upend the basket? Just totally flip it upside down. And we begin to see here, this, this is what riches actually looks like. It's not the way the world measures it. And we are, in a sense, going to be what? responsible for how we're handling the treasures that God has placed into our, our hands. We know this area of Corinth, there's actually several churches here. And, and Paul makes mention um, of, of churches in Macedonia. There's the church of Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. And Paul's encouraging people to give to those that were in need. Particularly um, in Jerusalem, faithful Christians were suffering for their faith. And it's recorded that there were some churches here in Macedonia that were giving, and it says that they were giving out of their extreme poverty, yet with an abundance of joy. Whereas on the other hand, there's other Corinthian churches, in a sense the ones to whom this letter is addressed to, that were really, really quick to sign up. Like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. I'll, I'll, I'll take the little QR code. I'll sign up, 57 seconds. I'm good to go, right? Quick to sign up but not very good at following through. They were willing in spirit, 
Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Therefore, they needed an encouragement to kind of be faithful in their commitment. And so Paul begins, and he's a wise communicator, and he actually even boasts of your enthusiasm. I'm so excited that you all raised your hands. I'm so excited that you committed to this with the hopes to encourage them to finish strong. But it didn't work. Later, he sends one of his men, Titus, and some other brothers, to help get their financial house in order. The Corinthians were having significant problems here, still to no avail. You can read all about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9. But the focus before us this morning, we get to right here in chapter 9, verse 6, he begins with this. The point is this. Get this. I, 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 I have the tendency here with this phrase of seeing a parent talking to their teenager for like the 19th time on the same subject. Okay, at some level, you kind of run out of patience. And what? Have a seat, son. This is the point. We're not going around anymore. At some level, what? Another translation says, remember what you're going to hear. Remember this. It all boils down. And he makes this statement, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Did you ever package something in front of your kids and you're like, nailed it. Like that was perfect. And they're looking at you like, I have no idea. Like they're just like totally gone. Like this is packaged well. Whoever sows sparingly reaps whoever and what's happening here is that it's an analogy that a, that a lot of people in first century would have got in agrarian society, culture, but not a lot of people get today. Okay, there's not a lot of like sowing sparingly and reaping. There's just not a lot of sowing, reaping stuff that goes on today. And so what happens is we miss it. So let me backtrack a little bit. Heckman's going to correct me on this. Let me just keep my notes correct. On He's my closest I got to a dirt scientist, okay? So I, I check my notes. To my understanding, you put an apple seed in the ground, you're going to get apples, right? Am I doing all right so far? At some level, what? When one plants wheat grain, you're going to get wheat. You're going to get the grain. And you do that, what? So that when you harvest it, you grind it up and you make flour. From flour, that's where the bread comes. That's where the cinnamon buns come. That's where the crust for the apple pie. You know, the, the Dutch apple pie with the crumbly brown sugar and the caramel on top. That's what comes as a result. The sticky bun. You grind it all up, you make everything that you want, and you eat it all. But what happens? If you grind it all up and you eat it all, there's nothing left. Or else what? You can grind some of it up. You can use some of the flour. And you can keep the rest of the seed that you don't grind up and you can put it back into the ground and what happens? You have more for the next harvest. What Paul is saying here is the choice is yours. 
But there's a problem that comes with all of this. And it's a problem that we call doubt. If I save some of it for later, and then springtime I put it in the ground because I'm hoping for the next harvest so that I have more as a result of this first one, what happens if there's a drought? What happens if there is no rain? What happens if the grain that I took and planted for the second or what happens, what happens if it all dies in the ground and I have nothing? We starve to death. We're dead. This whole plan is over. It, it, it comes, it all comes down to the subject of trust. It all comes down to the subject of of trust. That's what Paul's saying. He says you can, you can hold it and you can hoard it for yourself or you can what? Give it back to God and trust him to multiply. Trust him to supply for the future. Paul wrote on the subject stressing to do this willingly. Not reluctantly. Why? Because the Lord loves a cheerful giver. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. And then later on it says what? Verse 11. You will be enriched. Another translation, ISV, actually says what? You will be made rich. That's the part we like. Ah, made rich? But God comes right out and he tells us why he gives us more than we actually need. Being rich in Christ means you want to give more, not give more. Get more. Be being rich in Christ means you want to give more and not get more. That's what it means to be rich, to have an abundance of wealth. You'll be enriched in every way for all generosity, supplying the needs of the saints. It's not so what? It's not so when you have more, you can then spend it on yourself. That's not what it is. It's not so we have more, so, so we indulge ourselves or spoil our spoiled kids even more. No, no. It's so you can give generously. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, another translation says. The NIV says even more directly, you will be enriched in every way so you can be generous. This is the purpose that God has blessed us with so many ways, so many things, so you can be generous. When God provides for us, we oftentimes think what? The more he gives, well, the more we must need. We, we what? We, we need... We need we need better dinner. We need a bigger house. Or we need what? We, we, need, we need, you know, God is, we need nicer clothes than we have right now. Or a newer car. We, we oftentimes think that, oh, this, this is such a blessing, and it is. But do you ever think of it like this? The more that God has actually lavished upon us, both physical and spiritual blessing, it is a blessing, but do you realize it's also a test? It's a, a test. How am I going to handle this? How am I doing living in obedience or what? 
Or am I living in disobedience to the word of God? The measure is surrounded around the entire subject of what we've been looking at here the latest the last several weeks. It's this word stewardship. And, and that word, I know, it just seems like a word that has fallen on hard times. Like, like we, we bring it out, that Christianese language that we, that we bring out once in a while to kind of make um, tithing or, or, or a need in the church sound a little bit more spiritual. Let's, let's, pull the, let's, let's play the stewardship card. It, it is so much more than that. Steward is defined, we've talked to someone entrusted it with another's wealth or property and charged with the responsibility of managing it well in the owner's best interest. The Bible tells us that God owns everything. We've talked about that. The Bible tells us that God has delegated us the authority to what? To rule over creation. Genesis chapter 1, to subdue it and have dominion over it. The psalmist writes in Psalm chapter 8, what? That you have made him ruler over the works of your hands. You've put everything under his feet. That we have been, what? Given that which is the Lord's in ownership, but we have stewardship of it. But we have full authority to do whatever we want with it in obedience to the word of God. And God expects us to, what? Steward the blessings well. Therefore, I don't see it as a subcategory of our life. Like, let's do the here, here, here. And then I, I see, it is the Christian's life. Why? Because you're to steward your ability to stand. You're to steward your ability to, to enunciate and articulate words. You're, you're to steward the, the movements that God has given to you. You're to steward the heartbeat you're to steward the breath. Certainly you're to steward the, the home. God has blessed everything that we have from God. Every good thing comes down from the Father above. And so we have to see it as that. And do you realize this? In every single case, God is going to evaluate how you are doing with what he has entrusted into your care. Can I say that again? God is going to evaluate how you are doing with what he has entrusted into your care. You've been blessed with a little one. We just saw the adorable hair. Did you see her hair? Adorable Hannah. Hannah May. Modsel yesterday. Oh, adorable. Amy and Matt, just like this little adorable. In a sense, what? God has blessed this young couple, and we're going to steward the responsibility we have well. That's what all of us as parents, as grandparents, are called to do. Everything that we have. We were visiting a home, and it was a beautiful, beautiful home. We were joining an evening together, and I, and I said, I said, you guys have a beautiful home here. And, and they responded, totally shocked me. And like, well, thank you so much, but it's not really our home. I was like, really? Like, where are we? Do they, do they know that? Like, whose home is this? They said, yeah, th this isn't our home. They say, this home, God owns this home. He's just allowing us to live here. And that's a wonderful reminder 
of what we are to do right in this life. It, it immediately puts the focus on the Lord. Everything is focused on the Lord. And it takes the focus off of ourselves. Which means what? Being rich in Christ also means that you focus more on God. And less on yourself. You will be enriched, it says, in every way. Which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. It says it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings in the latter part of verse 12. Overflowing in thanksgiving to God. You ever hang around grateful people? It is a delight. Everything is directed back to the Lord. It, it takes, it takes, it very quickly takes the idea away that when something good happens in your life, you get the acceptance letter. You get the raise. You get the promotion. Something happens. You, you succeed. What happens, sadly, in many people's lives is, is they think that when you get the acceptance letter, when you get the raise, that it's something that you did. It's totally wrong. It's, it's your success at any level, in every area of life, your success is simply dependent on what God has done in your life. It's not what you did. We all saw the image years and years ago. Now it's black and white and kind of crackly. February the 4th, 1954. A young man who's his name then was, was Cassius Clay. Remember? Muhammad Ali. And he what? He bursts on the scene. He completely destroys the heavyweight boxing champion of the world, Sonny Liston. Knocks him out. Immediately, what? Ali begins his rant. His, his famous rant. He kind of rides that train all the way through. I am the greatest. I told you so. He said that. I told you, I am the greatest. At, at some level, the success didn't translate into any thanksgiving. There, there was no thanksgiving there. In the final years, we saw the images. The final years were spent, what? Inaudible. Shaking. Helpless. In many ways, hopeless, because it was always about him being the greatest. People, do not forget ever who is the greatest, and it's not you. It's not you. The premise of our entire study here, the subject is, is really derived about what Jesus taught. He certainly lived it. What the Apostle Paul summarized in 1 Corinthians, as servants of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God, it is required that we be found faithful. That's all. The, the summary statement, you, you know me, I'm a like, so what guy? So we can listen to all of that, you know? So what? And it all boils down, it all funnels, it all channels down for this. You're going to be faithful with what God has given to you or not. That's what it boils down to. It is required of us. There's going to be a test on this. You're going to be evaluated for this. You're going to stand before the Lord. And the Lord said, well, I lavished. 
Riches upon riches upon riches. Have you been faithful? Ask the question. Are you, 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 you doing your job? Or is it like me? It's me. Me. Check one more box. I, I make one more rung up the ladder. Are you doing what God has required for you to do? Are you trusting in the Lord or are you trusting in yourself? Are you faithful? I think it begins with the little tiny bits and pieces. If you're not faithful with the little, you're not going to be faithful with the big. That's where we begin to ask. God, God chooses in his sovereign will to unevenly distribute. Isn't that something? Like why, why does it always work for her? Like why, why, is it, why does the success come so easy for him? Like God in his sovereign will chooses to distribute it unevenly. Why is that? Like, excuse me, why? Because some people can handle it and some people can't. And the Lord knows exactly, the Lord knows exactly how much, how much can we handle? You faithful? As followers of the Lord Jesus Christ committed we recognize the fact that we are broken, desperate sinners. And God in his sovereign majesty at some level has called us and chosen us, elected us to be adopted into his own family. And he has lavishly poured upon us the incredible blessing of justification from our sin. So we can have relationship with him. Therefore what? Proclaim. His riches and His majesty to everyone else. The greatest, the greatest thing that God has entrusted into our care is the message of the gospel. The greatest thing. I was thinking, what, what, what are the two results of the riches that God has given to us? Are we generous with the message of the gospel? And are we grateful for the message of the gospel? If we have, like, I've got like 87 pieces and you have none. Wouldn't it kind of make sense for me? Hey, have some, Jack. Like, you really, totally, have some. Like, why, why would I want 87 pieces and you have nothing? That's, that's what we have before us. The message of the gospel and we sing about it, and we thank the Lord, and we talk, and we encourage one another. Are you generous with shoveling out that to those that have nothing by way of a knowledge of understanding the fact of their brokenness and what the separation is going to be like and the good news that is offered to them? Are you shoveling with generosity the greatest riches of the gospel? And are you grateful? Oh, oh, every step. Step. Thank you, Lord. You are the greatest. We fall asleep on our pillow like the last thing. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. You are the greatest. That's what gratitude is. May our reminder of what God has lavishly poured upon us and our responsibility to steward this little tiny bit well, driving us to what generosity, driving us to gratitude. May the Holy Spirit at this moment, I'm sure, oh my goodness. At this very moment, may the Holy Spirit be released and impressed 
on your heart, examining the riches and the wealth that God has blessed you with. Father, we love you. We thank you for your love and patience and grace with us. Bless us as we go and ignite us for your glory. In your name we pray, amen.